I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the CollectingCast.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. Been a while, I know, but uh, during lockdown it's been difficult. But this time um, I am doing it over the telephone line uh, to my guest, J.F. Musial, who is over in New York, uh, and I'm currently in the UK. Edward obviously can't be on this because we can't triangulate the call and we're not doing one of those Zoom calls because Zoom is far too trendy. For a man like me. Now, J.F. Musial is a name that many of you will know because he was the man that founded the Drive channel on YouTube in 2012 and persuaded me to go and work with him. Um, And ever since then, our paths have crossed an awful lot. And it's been a really, really fantastic and at times traumatic journey. And I I want to go through some of that now. And and hopefully J.F. and I can tell you some of the stories that surround building what was probably the biggest automotive YouTube channel at the time. So, JF, welcome to the Collecting Cars podcast. And first of all, can you start off by telling us who you are, where you came from, and how you ended up making films about cars? I'm, Chris, the the easiest way to put it is that, you know, I'm just a normal kid. I was a normal kid in high school. I was a normal kid in college. I went to an engineering school, um, but I grew up loving cars. Uh, I think, you know, I think all of us in this entire industry we had that kind of thing where it was either our father or our, our brothers or sisters whoever it may be that kind of got us into cars and um my whole track in life was to be an engineer my my family's full of architects and engineers um and one one fashion designer right so so my whole track in life was to be an engineer but you know i went to school to be an engineer and then came out of school in uh the worst of times, you know, 2008 with the financial crisis, whatever it may be. Um, I had switched, I had switched around from engineering to some business management to kind of get into into the realm of maybe getting, you know, doing something a little bit different than, you know, um, you know, just being a mechanical engineer working on, uh, you know, different systems. But um, you know, there was always that passion for 
technology. There was always that passion for, for motorsports. Um, so, uh, you know, in college, you know, one way to make money was to go out and actually take photos for not so great car magazines and, um, you know, some really low end publications. I was making money in college selling photos um, at a very low end. Um, a lot of event coverage. You know, from photography, I realized like, yeah, okay, you can make a few hundred bucks here and there, but with video, as video was becoming a lot more accessible and the technology was becoming easier, um, there were a lot of people in my ears saying, you know, you should kind of get into this video thing. You know, the, technology's, the technology is, is a lot more accessible and there's, there's gonna be demand for it. There will be demand for it. Um, so there was a, there was a guy that I met through Alex Roy, a good friend of mine. Um, his name was Emil Rensing, and he came and said, uh, "Look, uh, I've heard you're, um, you, you're, you know people within motorsports, and you know people within the industry, um, and you've been recommended as a producer." Uh, and I was like, "I don't even know what a producer is. So I don't know who would have I don't even know who would have recommended me to be a producer." And of course, Alex, you know, played me up to to this guy Emil Rensing, and. Um, and I basically got into a situation where Emil was like, look, you know people within the industry at a very young age, you have a lot of potential. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously a hard worker based off of the conversations he's had with, with me and what he, the conversations he had with Alex. Because I was working with Alex on his, you know, his then secret cross country races. Um, and my kind of, my reputation via Alex was that I was someone that was young and ambitious to try to do something. So Emil said like, look, a producer is someone that can manage time. And he said, can you manage time? I'm like, yes, of course I can manage time. And then he's like, okay, can you manage money? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm okay with my money. He's like, good. Well, the last part of being a producer is managing egos with people. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, well, everyone learns at some point. You're gonna learn with this. And he offered me a job. Um, he offered me a job to go work for this company called Nexu Networks to produce a show called Fast Lane Daily, um, which was one of the first daily car news podcast. It was actually on iTunes first before it actually went to YouTube. Um, and that's how I got involved in all of this. Well, I, I, I normally I try and sit back and let the guests talk the whole time, but I'm going to have to talk a bit here as well because I was part of this and I, and I, want, <laughs> I want to tell the story with you. So I think it was 2011. I was at the Nürburgring racing. Um, or maybe it's 2010. Was it the year before you met me? No, it wasn't. It was that summer, wasn't it? 2011. Yeah, I was 2011. racing. 2011. It was 2011. Yeah. 2011. I was racing yeah. at the Nurburgring, and, and and this guy, American guy, comes up to me and starts talking, holding a camera, and was filming something either on Porsche or with Porsche, and it was you. And and I remember, I remember talking to you in the paddock, thinking he's a professional guy. I mean, I'd never heard of you. I, I you know, I did, you weren't active in in my particular space, and struck me that yeah, you're you good at what you do, and I and I didn't think anything of it. And then about. Two, three months later, you sent me an email just saying, look, I've got this project that's, um, that's potentially interesting to you. Uh, it's, it's, car for, it's a car channel on YouTube that we're trying to build out. And, and I, when I read it, obviously I thought, this is massively interesting to me because this is what I want to be doing, or I think this is a logical step. And I thought nothing of it, really. I sort of replied to you and said, well, tell me more about it. And then you came back to me. At this point, had... had Emil done a deal with YouTube. Did he have the no, funding for no, it? No, no, we had, we had, we didn't actually have the funding at that point. We were still pitching it. Um, it was actually so. I th damn, this is so long ago. It's hard to actually remember the, the the fine details. I think it was 2010. Is that when I met you at the the? It was it was Nurburgring 24, 2010, the summer of 20, 2010, uh -huh. 
we started talking. We just kept in contact, and it was 2011. The next year ah, was yeah, that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was 2011 was when we started um, getting hints that YouTube was going to do the grant program. And that was it. Yes. So it was um, initially. Uh, so a little backstory there. The company that I was working with with Fastlane Daily uh, was called Next New Networks. Net Next New Networks was eventually acquired by YouTube. Um, and uh, went off, and uh, you know that entire 40-person team was kind of um, dissolved and kind of morphed into the content division within YouTube. Um, I left. I went to go start my own production company, Tangent Vector. Um, but at the same time, I kept a lot of the contacts. We all kind of kept in contact with the people at YouTube because it was it was the place to be at that point, right? And yeah. it was in 2000, and I would say 2011, kind of July. We started getting hints that YouTube realized that they they needed to do something. Um, they needed to create a grant program to change the type of content that was on YouTube, um, because on the platform at that point it was a lot of cat videos. It was a lot of guys getting kicked in the nuts. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't quality content. Um, and with uh, with kind of this huge push towards video on the internet, with bandwidth kind of becoming you know readily accessible. Um, you know, YouTube, YouTube was very much, okay, we got to take this a little bit more seriously. And um, we got hints of it in the summer of 2011, and then a real firm understanding by probably September that YouTube was going to be putting up like $100, $150 million worth of cash for people to go out and create content. And it wasn't just, you know, as we know them, influencers or YouTubers today. It was, it was real money towards real studios. I know Universal was, was getting involved in it. I know Hearst Corporation was getting involved in it. In the automotive sector, I remember that it was, it was they wanted to have three verticals for automotive, um, three different editorial brands uh, of the hundred or so channels that they were, they were going to fund. Uh, Car and Driver took the money. Motor Trend took the money, and actually, kind of full circle here, they offered it to Top Gear, from what I remember, Top Gear UK, and um, I believe they turned it down, and uh, the people we knew within YouTube came back and said, look, we had earmarked this money for, um, for Top Gear, are you interested? Um, they're, they're not interested, and uh, so Emil, um, Emil Rensing basically came back to me and was like, okay, what could we do? How could we do something different? How can we launch something that's, that's a real competitor to the big car magazines like Motor Trend and Car and Driver? Um, so we put together a plan. I think it was maybe two weeks <laughs> to try to develop a plan, uh, like a portfolio of, of different shows and different content that we would want to actually produce. Um, and you, of course, Chris, were on the top of that list alongside Spinelli, which was funny when you look back at it now. Spinelli. Uh, <laughs> and we, um, we pitched it. And uh, it was like a 30-minute presentation with you know, a bunch of executives in the room. And I remember walking out of the room. I was like, I, there's no way they're going to take it. No way they're going to take it. And then within three hours, we got a phone call saying, I think you guys got it. Let's go. I think this is something we want to do. Um, how, much then, money, how much money were they offering? Uh, it was seven figures. Uh, it was it was roughly two million dollars. Uh, so it wasn't an exact so, amount. It was based off of minutes of content. So there, there was a formula involved. And I remember you phoning me after that and saying, "I've got the green light. We're doing this." Um, then I, I was left in quite a tricky position because at that point, I'd just come off the back of a failed business, Drivers Republic. I was nursing my wounds. <laughs> and I had I had some stability. I wasn't earning mass amounts of money, but I had a good freelance career. I was doing what I wanted to do. 
syndication was going well for me. Myself and James Littman were still doing well, doing sort of big stories and then selling them multiple times around the world as print and um, still images. Um, but the world was changing quickly. And, you know, I wanted to get into doing some more video. So yeah. at that point, you phoned me up and said, what do you reckon? And I, I had a, you know, a, a, a decent contract with Evo. And I just thought, this is, how can I give this job up? Who, who has their dream job at Evo and then would even countenance stopping doing it to go and work for some startup no one ever heard of for YouTube? And we barely knew I, each other. <laughs> I didn't even know. So I thought, so, so here we go. And we've never said this publicly. And, and this is one of our favorite stories. I thought, I need to test just how serious this JF Musial bloke is. So I was racing at the Nürburgring um, in, the, in the VLN Championship. It was the final round, I think, or the penultimate round. Yeah. And I said to you, if you turn up at the Nürburgring with a contract, I'll sign it. And, um, and I think you must have thought he's, he's, he's having a laugh. Anyhow. Um, you told me that sitting. you told me you told me that on a Wednesday. But just give context of the yeah, speed yeah. Of how so this that was a Wednesday. Yeah, and yeah. It, was, it was a free practice on a Thursday, and then there was qualifying on the Friday. Yeah, and uh, I think it was. Or was it qualifying on Saturday morning? I can't remember. Anyhow, you sent me a note saying, "Yep, I'm, I'm landing at Frankfurt whenever on Friday." And I thought, "Good God, this lunatic! How old were you?" Uh back then, twenty-two years old. Yeah, 22. You're twenty-two years old. I was twenty-two years old. Yeah, twenty-two, twenty-three you, years old. And you phoned me and said, "I'm at Frankfurt Airport," and I thought, "Oh my God, he's doing this." And I had, <laughs> I had blagged for the weekend. I had blagged a bent, the then new Bentley Mulsanne from Bentley yeah. to drive to the Nurburgring and back. Yeah. And and in what turned out to be possibly the best professional move I ever made, I sat in the back of a Bentley Mulsanne with a twenty-two-year-old. Excuse. The word, but there's no other way to describe it. No, kid, it's who I, yeah, yeah, who yeah, I, yeah, I know. Who I'd never met before, who had, who was full of front and and positivity, but actually had nothing to show at all. And I signed a piece of paper with you. Yeah. And I and as I, as I did it, I knew it was the right thing to do. I just well, even hold though. Hold on, hold like, on, hold on. You're, you're you're missing like hours of conversation about how we would actually do this. You're like I you're am, completely, but I'm just you're, the story. completely you're completely I'm, skipping like the 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 best part about it of like. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yes, we were in the back of the Mossad signing an agreement, but we spent hours actually trying to figure out how to put this together because we, re we realized how much of an opportunity we had. We were like, hey, if this all goes to hell in a year, we said this. I remember saying this to you, Chris. It was like, yeah. if this all goes to hell in a year, at least we did something fun. At least we got away with something that we wanted to do, right? And, 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 and furthermore, <laughs> and, and what needs to be said here is that you'll, I don't think anyone will ever have an opportunity like this again within the media space because... The, the rise of YouTube was so profound at that point. It yeah. had cash swilling about and it needed to get into long-form broadcasting somehow or try and up the quality to try and improve the CPMs. You know, the, In other words, the, the advertising um, rate card that, that you want to improve when you're on YouTube. Right. So they effectively paid us to build our own brand. Yeah, I mean, it was it, by definite by definition, it was an advance against ad revenue. So if we didn't actually generate any ad revenue, you know, nothing, you know, nothing was going to come against it, but our whole goal was to actually create content that they can then serve ads against, um, quality content that the, the rule of thumb was that it couldn't just be kind of crappy videos, which is uh, what a lot of the other YouTube channels that got the grant did. They just kind of took a library approach and just put as much crap out, out there as possible to get the cash. We actually cared about it because we actually realized like, this is a, an amazing opportunity. Why would we not do it? Yeah. Um, so okay, I'm, I'm I'm deliberately being theatrical and brushing over that. We did sit there and define what we thought would be good shows, how we thought we could do it, but it was still 
Dude, we didn't have a clue what we were doing, really. We were oh, just sticking off. No, no, you, you got it. No, 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 no. No, I don't think. No, no, stop there. This is my podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think I think we knew how to make films. I think we had a very good radar for what we thought would engage an audience. But in terms of how the hell we were going to deliver it and, and what might work and what might not, we, we actually didn't have a clue. I don't think we did. I, th- I think we were... I think we what was telling was that we learned so quickly because when you're thrown in at the deep end like that, you do learn very quickly, don't you? Right. Well, well, the, the, I would, the only thing I would add to that is that we realized we needed to, we needed to try as much, we needed to try as many different things as we possibly could because we didn't know what was going to work. At least we didn't go all in on one thing. Right. Like, like let's be honest with ourselves. We were, we were very, very conservative when it came to looking at, okay, we're not just going to give all the money to three people. We're going to spread it across. It was like 13 or 14 different shows initially. Let's not forget that, you know? So yeah. we were, we were playing it, you know, it, we were a little smart with that. I think more so than I think other brands were. Um, but yes, we didn't know what was going to work. We just tried to give as, ourselves as many opportunities as, as we could. And I think uh, the other thing that was a blessing for us is we didn't have another product in our portfolio we needed to protect. We weren't, protecting an existing website or protecting a magazine right that was our that was our thing 100 percent was right. this thing called drive so at the beginning of 2012 we start effectively broadcasting and in the, in the meantime i've i've done a reasonably smart deal and decided I've, I've moved to piston heads which then had the biggest sort of motoring audience online in the uk and we used to write stories to support the films and then embed the films in the piston heads page and I, that helped drive traffic to my show certainly but it was it it was an amazing time for me because I'd gone from being this fairly backwards looking journalist to suddenly not really having a print presence at all right um and I was and I and my boss was 22 um, <laughs> well, um, well I wasn't just I wasn't quote unquote your boss we were in it together I think we all realized that right you know there was there were certain people that were good at certain things I was good at spreadsheets I was good at the numbers I was good at putting together the shows and you're great at being on camera and, and sliding cars around it was we, we got the right people across the board right it wasn't just all of our friends like it wasn't just something where we we had fun we were actually wanting to make something good out of it i think that you know that should be said no no and you you guys did a fantastic job with the brand and and the look and feel of it was great yeah and i think a lot of people just the, the most i suppose the most satisfying comments I ever got at the time was it's the kind of content I've been waiting for delivered in a way that I want to view it because back then you didn't have a YouTube app on your telly it was still very much a, a laptop viewing exercise you right. weren't watch you weren't streaming it through your your television were you it was very you did watch it at your workplace you didn't sit and watch it in, the, in your in your living room um, but it, it was yeah, looking back, it's absolutely bizarre. So these shows started to take off, didn't they? And we, start, you know, the, yeah. some of them got good, some of them got good numbers. But across the board, YouTube, I don't think they were, they weren't unhappy, were they, with, with what you did? No, 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 no. Looking back at it, three years after launching it, they defined Drive as one of the top five success stories of the whole grant program. Um, you know, we launched on the exact day that they wanted us to launch. We were the only ones to launch, um, considering that we only had two months remember we only had two to three months they put it all together that Nurburgring trip was October I think and uh you know we had films going on a routine schedule by January 2nd <laughs> which is insane I was just insane yeah uh and we, used yeah. To, and we used to do it for so little money as well I mean I, I know I know two million dollars sounds like a lot of money but what 13 shows to start with 
Yeah, well, it was if you actually boiled it down, it was 140 hours of content per year. Um, so eat, yeah, part of that contract was 140, 140 hours of content, which is, which is nuts. Um, we, does we, that include when, does that include the genius move when you decided to live stream the entire <laughs> Le Mans 24 hours? That does include the 20, we did the 25 hours of 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was, that was part of that spreadsheet magic, you know, like, okay, well, it's not a lot of money if we just, it wasn't even a, Chris, let's be clear about this. We did not stream an ACO feed. We streamed Mike Spinelli and Leo Parente watching the stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that counted. That counted. They they went for it. They they understood and contractually we were fine about but that. But we, we did that. Get, so yeah, I I I I found an old laptop when I used to be a bit more organised, and I, and because I had to be quite organised to do this weekly show with Neil, the budget had to be. This is when my friend Neil Carey, who will get on at some point, and he's uh, my rock basically. He'd done so much work with Neil, he he came and did it with me, and we just started, you know, doing these weekly films, and it, it became. It was it was tough work knocking one out every single week and keeping them interesting, but we used to do it for not much money. I mean, it was, it was buttons really what we used to spend on it. But yeah. I remember we used to deliver minutes, didn't we? And I'd be I think I had to deliver a ten minute show a week, and I had a running budget on my laptop always, so I knew where my minute budget was, and in my head, I had to net that out every month, so I could deliver you know two eight and a half minutes, but then I had to deliver two eleven and a half minutes. Yeah, the following weeks, and if I got behind on minutes, you'd be on me, or or I felt guilty. I can't remember what it was, one of the two. But it was <laughs> it was it was such a it was quite a rigid exercise in those terms. You know, it was it was about minutes rather than the quality of the film, which looking back was was actually a, a bit of a um, a dead end, wasn't it? it the, the world doesn't work like now like that now. But at the time, that was one of the well, things YouTube were trying. Yeah, I don't know if it was a dead end because it accomplished exactly what YouTube was looking for, which was keeping people on the platform. Which ultimately, you know, good for good for them. But you know, if we look to if we skip ahead to 2016 and what's going on right now, where you know there are some really disturbing trends of how people spend 14, 15, 16 hours a day on YouTube, which is really, really scary. But but for, for their purposes of getting ad revenue, they were doing a good job at that. And I think what you were doing, what I, what I really recognized and what I appreciated the most was that you were filling the time with content that other people would just skip over. And actually, you're, you, were, you were becoming very much um, an educator for things that were uh, maybe you know hitting the floor uh, in a, any other environment where it was just getting cut out because people would quote unquote think it was, it was boring. But I think I think some of what you were doing with your reviews were, was giving getting into the interviews, getting in depth, and getting into the details that people didn't know they cared about until you actually started showing it to them. So so you know I'd love I'd love to say I did it deliberately. I was just trying to fill minutes. <laughs> I know I know I know I know, but. But, um, you know, looking back at some of those videos, like, you know, respect to you and Neil for, for putting them together and, and, and you thinking about the creative aspect of it, of like, no, let's actually sit down and do this interview and actually get those types of details. No, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, let's add an element of story and context to where we're driving, not just, what was the, what was the BMW... Um, the five series. You went to Wank Mountain or something? Oh, or? Went to the went to the Wank Mountain. <laughs> like stuff like that. <laughs> I remember that. Like, like there was there was like interesting stories there. And I think you know back to how I got into this. And and I think that this is where um, where drive came from. You know, while I was growing up, especially in in, in high school, college, 
you know, I was watching Top Gear, right? And I was learning more about the world via Top Gear than just about the cars because of all the locations and a bit because, because of, of, you know, there wasn't a lot of content in America that really showcased the world like, uh, like, a, like a BBC program would or does. And, you know, I think that had a lot of influence over the type of content and the, the style of shows that we were putting together for the Internet age. So we, we get through the first year, and then we, we knew we had a one-year deal, didn't we? Um, and at this stage, being transparent, at the outset, I, wasn't, I didn't have any equity in this, in this organization, but the, I managed to negotiate myself a position, and JF allowed me to get, have a little chunk of it because, um, well, we were, you know, I, I was a big part of it, and I, and I'm, I was really pleased when I was given a, a chunk of it. Yeah. So we had... Um, so, so going forward, after the first year, we then, they made us wait, didn't they? It was a bit agonizing, but they announced they'd give us some more money for the second year, but it was less money, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was like 25% less, but, but with that, it was also less minutes of content as well, so we could focus it a little bit better. Um, yeah, so 2013, I think we went from 140 hours to 100 hours uh, yeah. with less money, um, but that, but you know what? There was one other additional additional change they made. It, you remember this? It was the purchase funnel. They wanted content that actually was relevant to people buying cars at that point. Yeah. Because they were they and they were smart about this because they realized that as YouTube would pick up, this was content they could eventually license to car manufacturers or dealers or whatever it may be to help sell cars. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's why we ended up shooting about fifty cars in a week, didn't we? In LA. Yeah. 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 In in we did we did we did L A and then we did Chuck Wall. It was the first time we went to Chuck Wall, right? And that's where yes. we had the M the M five incident, <laughs> the camera car. Yeah, oh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. So so I'd never I'd never seen one of these things before. A, ru a full Russian arm. Yeah. And in the UK, a Russian arm is based on a a Navara or something like that. But of course, in California, it has to be based on a Cayenne Turbo. So there was this matte black Cayenne Turbo with this enormous, a Russian arm is one of those camera cars with an enormous arm that's electric, electrically powered that can swing anywhere. And normally with an Alexa camera hanging off it or an Arri or something, you know, something really... Really um, expensive. Something really expensive. <laughs> really expensive hanging off it. Anyhow, JF is in the back of this thing. It's fully loaded up. It must weigh four tons or something. Yeah, five feet... Five people in there, by the way. Five people in the Cayenne. And yeah. at Chuck Waller, there's, there's a, we were running the wrong way around the track. And Chuck Waller's a very interesting circuit. Look it up on Google. It, it runs both ways. So the curbstones actually have thick, normal peaks, like a, like a Matterhorn mountain, as opposed to being flattened on one side like most race circuits do. So you can run it in both directions. So we're going counterclockwise around the circuit over this sort of elevated chicane thing. And I'm crossed up in this M5. And the driver of this of this um, Russian arm, he's so confident. I mean, he's like Tom Cruise at a Top Gun. He he th he thinks he's the man, and he um, he clips a curb on the exit. And I just I'm watching this thing, and it just goes up on two wheels. And I think that shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and it and I and this is a great word in the English language. It teetered. It genuinely did that thing where your eyes told you it had gone so far that it it was an absolute. There was a moment when it might go one way or the other, and it was right the way up and then the arm flung back onto the inside and that brought the vehicle back down because the arm went the other way yeah yeah but the, dude the I, the I, thought I, yeah. I just thought i was going to watch you get end up in a shrapnel wound of a car crash it was <laughs> awful from where i was sitting it was it was um it was not as dramatic inside the car i think we when we i remember the moment where we all 
where the car started tilting, the Cayenne started tilting, we're up on two wheels. And then I remember someone in the car saying, we're up on two wheels. <laughs> and, and, and myself and, and um, uh, Jack are like, we're, we're running the camera and we're looking back and we're like, well, it looks, it looks fine for us, but we, we saw a jerk in the camera. And I could see, I remember this moment of looking through the camera, looking through the, the monitor, and I see your eyes behind us in the car in the m5 your eyes just lit up and i could see you get out of the slide because <laughs> you don't know what's gonna happen that <laughs> was, oh, was bad that was yeah. bad but yeah. those are the moments that i loved and and i think the unstructured nature of of making films for the drive channel is something i'll always miss i, I, I like making television because it's there's more money to fly around and you can do more ambitious things but I think we'll all look back on those years, particularly 12 and 13, where YouTube was funding us. We were building a brand. It was quite nice being the young kids on the block as well, wasn't it? We didn't, yeah. there, was, we, we, there was no expectations of what we were going to do. And, and the shows that, that, that Drive had that were good, um, you know, we had Farah, we had Tunes, we had Big Muscle, we had, um, God, I forget them all now. What were the other ones? There was, even, um, even, even like Leo, even though Leo, I, I, you know, Leo is, is in a very, you know, <laughs> He's a very aggressive human, especially as a uh, former champ car racer, racing driver. Um, watching his, you know, watching his show and learning, you know, he knew so much about motorsports, and I learned so much from him. And you know, this is about the same time that we started kind of talking to NBC about doing a potential drive show, and then other shows like Off the Grid, and just getting involved and getting to the deep, deep details of not just like the 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 outer layer of automotive and motorsports, but getting into the inner politics and learning like how these these contracts and learning how these shows and how everything comes together um, was like was incredibly fascinating to me. It's like the idea of like I'm negotiating a deal for Race of Champions to be broadcast on YouTube for the first time ever, and just like getting into the, like getting into that contract detail and learning as much as I did in those times and and learning the people involved that actually put together these shows and what goes into putting on a, a live motorsports show. All of it was just like really fascinating, and I felt like we were really much, we were very much at that point of where the old world is meeting with the new world, and there was a lot of education both ways, um, you know, from the old traditional media to the new media. And I, th I thought that was just, you know, it was like a, it was a crash course in just learning, you know, learning the industry just from from the media side, but also from the automotive side as well. It was just really, really fascinating. Yeah, and and I, I, I was a little bit involved in that with you, and and I was trying to help work out what we did with drive so after 13 we then um then it became difficult didn't it because we we weren't going to get any money for 14 um we got a little it was a very it was a it was a little but yes it wasn't it wasn't so what, yeah what they were saying was look we've we've helped you build this thing now you need to make it work on your own yeah but the problem was that although youtube's intentions were good and they wanted to to create long form content. It was quite clear that as a platform, YouTube wasn't going to be heading in that direction in the long term because you just couldn't get the CPA. There wasn't any way of um, of discriminating between high quality content, and low quality content and adjusting the CPM. So in other words, if you right. had a, if you're up against skateboarding cat and it costs nothing to film and he gets 20 million views and you spend 10 grand making a film and you get 5 million views, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that you, you can't carry on making that that sexy content is just not going to work anymore, right? And, the, and and we knew the ad revenue wasn't going to be big enough to support the channel. So then we had, you know, it's pretty difficult time deciding whether we stick it behind a paywall. That's when YouTube 
began a, a subscription service as well. And it was tough times, wasn't it? And I'm, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever spent so much time on the phone to an individual or emailed someone <laughs> as much as I did. We, we were on the phone every day. We were, yeah, we were. And I, but, and but I, I would just say, I would just say, you know, remember, like it is, we did it to ourselves, but in a good way, right? We, we put every single cent, at least as what we knew, <laughs> we put every single cent on screen, right? We, we, yeah. we were not taking any money and we were, we were not making a lot, like we were not taking any profits from anything, right? We were putting every cent on screen to make the best possible content we could. And we were never thinking about this as something that we should turn into a business because we didn't want to turn it into a business. We wanted to just make good, good content that would eventually kind of leapfrog us to whatever else we yeah, wanted Yeah, I think we saw, it, we saw it as shop window, didn't we, for what we, yeah. what we might do in the future. But also, there came a point where we had to sit there and say, right, let's, we need to either try and sell this now and see if an existing brand wants to absorb it or we need to think of plan B pretty quickly because we're going to run out of money. And by this stage, in 14, you know, you and I were spending our own money yes. making making films, which looking back was absolute madness given that I'd pretty much gone bust from Drivers Republic three years earlier. Um, so it was a pretty tough time and yeah. we we tried to sell it. We tried to sell it to Hearst, didn't we? Um, yeah, well... Timeline, you know, there was a few things that happened before we we tried selling it. Well, we did start the subscription service, Drive Plus, um, which you know I know a lot of people hated us for that, but we we did the math. Remember, we did the math. We were like, we need one yeah. percent. We need one percent of our million point two subscribers to actually pay three ninety nine a month. And we were the first people to ever consider doing something like this. Remember, let's, we should get into the Geneva conversation. Remember from that year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that meeting was fun. So we realized, like, well, Christ, if we just if we get one percent of our our audience our audience to actually pay three ninety nine a month, U.S., this would break even. Yeah. And we did it. Remember, we did it. We 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 got the one percent within one month. We made it. You know, it 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 got a lot of people pissed off. Um, it wasn't the best of scenarios for us because, of course, you know, access to cars becomes more difficult. The exposure gets limited, and I know that's what one thing you're worried about in terms of, yeah, you're going to be behind a paywall, but that doesn't necessarily help us because then you know we're not getting the exposure, and manufacturers are not going to give you the cars that they would normally give you for that exposure because it's behind a paywall. But at the same time, we proved the business model. And that's why we had other people poking around to see how well we were doing to, to actually get to actually see if they wanted to do it. And yeah, that's kind of what happened. So when you look at what Velocity is doing now, you realize that we, we yeah, story of my life. It seems to get to places a bit too early to make them work. We, um, yeah, yeah. But but I, I then remember we had um, we can't go into too many of these, but we had some fairly amusing times when I'd fly at the back of the 747 in the toilet <laughs> as cheap as possible to get to New York and we'd go and sit with people who were interested in buying it yes um, <laughs> yes in, yeah. and it um they were crazy meetings weren't they Emil um oh, yeah, at times was um was yeah. uh, his his sales technique was interesting um and it just felt like my life was bizarre I remember sitting in that Hearst that crazy glass Hearst building overlooking the Hudson River thinking what am I doing here? I'm trying to flog something that YouTube paid for that I know doesn't really make any money, but it's a really good brand and we've um and someone could make something of this. Yeah. Um and eventually it stalled, didn't it? We didn't we just couldn't 
I we think, couldn't find a way I think, of, I think of selling it, I, it to Hearst. Yeah, well, I think I think from the onset, you know, there was clear indication that there was interest. And and my God, the people at Hearst, there were some people at Hearst that were just so on top of their game, that knew more about our business than we did. Um, and, and well, obviously for the, the media business, but also they were doing their due diligence on us. They knew more about us than I ever could have imagined they they would know. Um, when you have a, a multi-billion-dollar company investigating you and learning more about you, doing their due diligence to see if they should buy your brand, they dig so deep. And they were just—they were honestly. I'll, you know, I'm not just saying this. Um, I'm not in business with them or anything right now. It's like they were really good at their job and they were really, really thoughtful. But I think once um, once Amel kind of started talking and kind of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't even know how how much I would want to go into remembering I think those it, moments. I think, in, I think in dating terms, in dating terms, you'd call it a turn off. Yeah, um, yeah. But but yeah. around that, it was it was a really strange time for me. That it was a little bit hazy, but I remember these being in New York trying to sell this thing, trying to work out what to do with it next, trying to understand what the paywall might mean, and then around that time, we're going to Yas Marina and filming a McLaren P1 in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what a, what a what a crazy moment, by the way. Like I, I I've thought back about that moment of like it was three of us, and then you know, top gear team with the nine eighteen with a crew of ten fifteen on the other side of the track. It was a crazy moment. Yeah. So so just to flesh that out, we get there to to film this P one, and they've McLaren's not invited many people, and I'm thinking this is this is what we were put on this planet to do. We've got this brand drive. We had over a million subs by then, didn't we already? Yeah, 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 more than and that. Yeah. And it was flying, and it was becoming a destination. And we had some publishing discipline as well, which was really good. So you know, you knew on a Wednesday that this show came out, on or Thursday this show came out. Yeah. And the P the P one was for me was going to be our biggest film. I just thought we're in here. So we get to Yas Marina, and I'm thinking we're going to film during the day, and then it it dawns us we're going to have to film actually pretty much during the night because during the day someone else is using the track. And and I we go to the the restaurant or bar area at that Yas Marina hotel. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. And Richard Hammond's up there having a <laughs> load of beers with the Top Gear crew. It's a little bit, it's not frosty to start with, but then Hammond comes over, doesn't he? Stays drinking with us for a bit, probably a bit too late, yeah. and. Um, and we're on one side of the track filming a P1. He's over on the other side filming what would be their 918 segment. Go and watch it. It's a beautiful film. His yeah, just be, to be clear about that, that was the night before. We weren't drinking and then going out to drink. No, 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 no. no <laughs> yeah, no, it was no, the no. night it was before. The, it was, it was the night before. before. And, yeah. um, and it was 
yeah, it was a. I think that was a seminal moment. And we'd we'd done a deal whereby you were thinking of making this. Uh, you had a working project for a, a hypercar or supercar film, which turned into Apex. Um, and I, this is the simplicity of life back then. I remember you phoning me and saying, "Look, I want. I need to get some footage of a P1." And I said, yeah, if you come and film and give me some of your footage, I get an extra camera and you can keep the footage for your film. And that's mm -hmm. the only deal we ever did. These mm -hmm. days, if I wanted to do something like that, God, there'd be five lawyers involved. Mm -hmm. Money would have to change hands. There'd have to be a legal document drawn up for usage, territories, what you could do with it. But we literally, it was a two minute phone call, wasn't it? I just mm -hmm. went, yeah, yeah. If you bring your camera along and you give me some shots of me doing skids, then you can have the footage for your film. Mm hmm. And by the way, that was the I remember that was the first night I heard the term hypercar. That's where the t yeah. it was at that night that night at that over drinks that were we we started using that term and that's that fucking that term's used everywhere now. <laughs> I never really thought about that. It was mega, wasn't it? You and yeah. you and Nilo jumping in and out of the circuit wall. Oh God, Chris, grabbing... it was it was the worst. It was the worst and the best moments ever. <laughs> you you lumping had... a Sony a Sony F five, which is not a small camera. Yeah. Um, oh, but some of the shots were just stunning with the the circuit lighting in the middle of the night and the blue flames coming out of the exhaust and it defines who oh. we were. It defines who we were on multiple levels, not just by the content we made, but by the style and by the process we did it. Right? Because I, I I think a lot of what you've done over the years before Top Gear with Neil was you know you're you're very good on camera. But what I don't think people actually know about you is that you're very good about directing how to get the shots you want. I've met no one else in this industry that, that thinks like you do, Chris, in terms of thinking about, okay, I'm going to slide the car this way. I want the camera there. You're actually thinking about that. Every other talent or host I've worked with or reviewer, they don't actually think about those types of shots. And I know that when you're in the car, you're thinking about where the camera is for the shot. And as soon as you know you're out of frame, you're already resetting. And it's just the, the efficiency of the entire process, whether it be the P1 moment, right, the 35, 40 minutes we had with the P1 to get all those shots, or any of the other shoots, I think what, and I'm, I'm kind of saying this on your own show just so people recognize this, because I don't think you talk about this a lot, but you... I'm 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 so impressed by your ability. I'm blowing smoke up your ass because yeah, let's <laughs> I, stop I, 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 I kind of hate you, but, I'm, I, but I'm, I, I'm now uncomfortable. <laughs> I want I, I think I think the one thing that does stand out, what makes that film, especially P1, so well that it came out so great, was because we were all in sync and we were all working together to get the job done and thinking about the end product. It wasn't just you going out and driving and reviewing; you were actually thinking about the end product and. Neil and I, the same way. And running between those curves, the, the different turns, and we did like five, six, seven. You were, we oh, went for a beer afterwards. I don't know, we finished about four or five in the morning or something, didn't we? It was very, it was finished very late. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was a bit earlier than that, maybe it was three. It you was three, were yeah. a broken man. Yeah, you dude. Absolutely Cause, shattered. Because you're, you, in the time it took you to do one lap, we had to run the 100 meters to the next corner. <laughs> you know? And then and we set didn't up. have long. I mean, yeah, did, did we, we really that. have forty minutes? Was it that long? It wasn't long. For was our for our B roll, remember we did we did um, from the hotel right the outside the hotel the exit of, of the Yas Hotel that corner. So one two three four five six seven eight. We did eight corners. We did eight corners in thirty minutes, and we had wow. to run the whole way. And I remember this time you 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 weren't. I don't know if you ever heard this, but do you remember the story? Did Neil ever tell you about? Or maybe we told you this. We're uh, 
Uh, Chris Goodwin showed up in a rental car behind the fence at one point. Did you? Did we ever tell you this story? No, I think you might. Uh, maybe you did. I don't know. Where where you were sliding? You were sliding near the hotel. He had pulled up like maybe 20, 30 seconds before um, before you actually came into frame, and he was at the fence line. We saw him. He saw you come. <laughs> you were so checked up. He saw that. He got back in the car. He's like, no. He he cursed at himself. I'm not going to repeat this. And then just drove away. <laughs> he did not want to see that. <laughs> he did not want to see that any further. He was with um, Dave Eden and a few of the McLaren people as well. They did not want to be present for what was going on. <laughs> Goran is, of course. Goodwin's now a good mate of mine, and we race together. So. Um, Okay, look, now's a really good time for a bit of a comfort break. Um, I'm loving this. This is I'm, I'm, My memory's so shot these days. It's great, great to hear some of this stuff. Um, so, yeah, go and get yourself, I reckon, pickled onion monster munch this time uh, and a soft drink because the weather's going to be quite warm when you listen to this. And then we'll be back for some more chat with uh, J.F. Musil, which, by the way, stands for John Francis. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Collecting cars. The safe, smart and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars. An online auction platform for the UK and Europe. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Welcome back to uh, the second part of this Collecting Cars podcast with um, J.F. Musial. That's John Francis Musial to his close friends. Um, so let's just recap. We are end of 2014 now, and we are trying to sell Drive unsuccessfully. Uh, and time's moving on. You know, you've got a production company, Tangent Vector. You're working for Porsche. You've got some good automotive clients in the US. I'm slightly scratching around trying to work out what to do it's quite clear that the youtube money has dried up from youtube these things can't pay for themselves through advertising revenue alone so i'm i'm trying to find new ways to do things the paywall thing for drive has sort of worked but it's proved the concept but it's also confirmed that's not how we want to work hasn't it correct yeah yeah i think i think all of us were like yeah it makes the money that it needs to survive but it wasn't how we wanted the brand to continue, right? It wasn't. It wasn't the right time for it. At least at that moment in time, it wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, because Netflix was just a, a thing that people talked about in the US now and again. I mean, it, it, the rise of Netflix is incredible when you think about 2014, 2015. We weren't really acknowledging it too much. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. I think the only things that you were paying for online were at that point. The only people that got it right was Apple with iTunes. Um, yeah. You know, everything else was anything video based was still via the you know the big networks and I think a lot of that a lot of that had to do with broadband right because even here in the United States there were you know big portions of the country that just couldn't watch a video on their phones or on their laptops because the internet wasn't fast enough um, so that was a big part of it so we sort of started to go our separate ways didn't we really we had um, I needed to go off and try and reboot whatever my show was called, Chris Harris on Cars as a solo project, which I worked towards, trying to get some funding, trying to work, trying to find a way of making it work. Uh, we had our own production company with Neil called Grip, which was doing some stuff as well, some with automotive clients. But, you know, you and I were still in very regular contact. Yeah. And it was then that one of the people we'd gone to speak to about potential partnerships or an acquisition was NBC, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and what came from that was the chance to make 
a TV show for NBC Sports. Yeah, yeah. The first the first season of which was kind of reutilizing all of our long content from our YouTube channel. And um, uh, the first season was a lot of repackaged content that we made for web that was pretty good. You know, let's be let's admit let's let's be honest with ourselves. It was pretty good for for what we were doing. Um, but we did one show that year that was original to NBC Sports, which was the Monaco episode, which was nuts to put together. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we drove a Ferrari from Ferrari and a McLaren from McLaren and a Mercedes randomly from the F1 factory at Mercedes, didn't we? Was that right? <laughs> yeah, 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 from Brackley, yeah. Yeah, and it was, um, I remember that because this is actually another thing. I don't know if you know this, but we didn't actually have the contract signed with NBC until I was already in the UK. <laughs> God. Um, I remember I remember Reed saying, um, you need to put the, you know, if we're going to do this, we need a show within two weeks for the Monaco Grand Prix. And we're like, are you kidding me? You're serious? That show, if you remember, that show came together. We had a week's notice to put it together. And then a week from shoot to get it out for broadcast. We Remember, we, um, yeah, we, we left, I think it was a three-day shoot you leaving from Ferrari, getting to Monaco, and then, you know, obviously McLaren and Mercedes, Spinelli and Farah coming from the UK, from Woking and from, from Brackley. Uh, and then we, we got to Monaco. Do you remember, remember the story of how this all came together and when that episode was aired? It, we finished shooting, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday in Monaco, the, the week of the GP. I flew to Toronto. I got to Toronto on Tuesday, yeah. And we edited the episode Tuesday, Wednesday, I then flew from Toronto to back to New York, and I hadn't slept at that point in like over 48 hours. <laughs> and yeah, we turned that episode around so fast, and that went to NBC and was on the air by Friday. Uh, by Friday, free uh, was it Friday? No, no, it was Saturday qualifying for Monaco. Yeah, yeah, because there, yeah, that was it was one of the craziest edits I've ever had to do in fast turnaround times, and and that kind of like. We had no idea what we were doing. We've never made a TV show in our lives before. We were doing it within two weeks. <laughs> That's what I loved about you, though. And, and you, you just, the opportunity was there. It's like, give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? We'll do, the, we'll do our best. Yeah. And also, um, to blow some smoke up your ass, you know, good Lord, can you put the hours in? Just the, the relentless work ethic and the lack of sleep. We just kept piling on. And I, I quite like working hard as well, as you know. But in you, I finally found someone that was willing to put the same hours in as me. Yeah, man. Um, and it just, it, it, that was, that was, and I sort of slightly brush over that. But the NBC on Drive, uh, sorry, Drive on NBC Sports TV show, which has run for many seasons, and it's not a big budget thing. We've been to some amazing places. What about, I totally forgot going to Japan. We went. We made an episode in Japan, didn't we? That was absolutely Dude, bonkers. We've made an episode in like every continent. <laughs> it's nuts. It's really nuts. And and that relationship with NBC, like it grew. It kept growing. It kept growing. It kept growing. And, you know, we're still making, you know, our production company, we, we do three shows for NBC now. Um, you know, Drive, Off the Grid, Improving Grounds. And it all grew from that Monaco episode of like, the, I don't think they believed that we could get it done in two weeks. <laughs> It was nuts. It was nuts. Damn. They, they were good, and Iceland as well. We get to Iceland. Yeah. They were. They, they were. They were and are very happy times. But it, it was. Um, it was getting quite stressful with Drive. Yeah. Um, on the website front, and, and then we. I think there was a sense that we'd sort of run out of ideas, and we just mothball it, wasn't there? There was. There was nothing we could really do with it. There was an idea that we could maybe hive off some of the content, sell it here or there. But like I agreed with you, we were quite precious. We didn't want to just give it away, did we? It, no. it was there was a lot of work and I I think we felt that hanging on to it for the right time, if there was one in the future, was 
going to be better than just giving it away for a nominal sum to try and make something back. I mean, at that point, I was in debt to it as well. So were you. Yeah. And I, I wanted to get, I, all I wanted to do was get back out what I'd spent on the films, uh, you know, or maybe 80% of it, and I'd have felt better. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, I remember you phoning me, and we'd sort of moved on a bit, really. Everyone was, you were tangent vectoring, I was mm-hmm. doing other stuff. And you said, yeah, there's, um, Time Inc. looked like they might want to buy Drive. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't see that coming at all. I don't think any of us did. I think, and honestly, I give a lot of respect to what happened with NBC because by, by the show, by the brand going from YouTube to a full-fledged you know, um, TV show on NBC Sports gave it a lot of credibility. Um, and when, it was, when people started recognizing that in that first season, a lot of the content that we made over the years was actually being used as a TV show, um, you know, that credibility went a long way. And uh, it started opening a lot of doors for us across the board where, you know, before, um, you know, trying to go to someone, it's like Spinelli talking about trying to go somewhere, with the, somewhere and trying to get information using the Jalopnik name, you know, going somewhere to a brand and saying, I need a car for a week and saying I'm with a YouTube channel. It, it's, not, <laughs> it's not as credible as saying I'm with NBC Sports. So the NBC Sports relationship brought a lot of credibility to the, to, to the brand. And when Time Inc. started poking around after hearing that Hearst was interested without really realizing why Hearst didn't kind of go through with it, um, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I was kind of awestruck by it as well. I was like, really? Time, Time Inc. wants to buy Drive? What's this about? Um, and, and it had a lot to do with relationships. And I think, you know, Emil, this name that keeps coming up, had, had a lot to do with that. And, and credit where it's deserved. You know, he, he wanted to make money off the brand and he wanted to sell it and he was working hard at that. And um, I think that's really what pushed, um, you know, the NBC relationship plus Emil's, um, <laughs> Emil's push from his side really got us in the door with, with Time Inc. and had some really serious conversations. And, and, it, and it did, we did a transaction. We made, we made a deal, didn't we? We yeah, sold yeah. the whole thing, lock stock. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We sold, and it wasn't. We're not gonna. We're not gonna say how much it was, um, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't life-changing sums of money. But it was. But I, I'm really glad that it left a pleasant taste in the mouth. You know, we we did make some money, and that seems to be just rewards for how hard work it was. If we if we'd had to sell it for so little that we'd have felt it was a diminished project that would have been sad as I'm really glad that that people walked away with some cash right yeah you know you know looking back at it you know we we started this conversation talking about me being a 22 year old you know I I I spent the three thousand dollars I had to my name to (laughs) to to start Tangent Vector and then as as we got to the end of drive you know we were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. <laughs> so what, can, what I was better off as a 22 year old than I was at a, uh, as a 29 year old. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think what happened to the brand and how it kind of got to where it was. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy that it was sold and I'm happy it still lives on today. And, and, and since time Inc, you know, it's, it's not no longer with time Inc. It's with a private equity group. That's doing a great job with it and making a lot of money off of it. It's the, it's a, it's a great brand now. And I, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but like even um, CNN is now quoting drive on, on stories, which is like, I, I'm proud of that. That's cool that like our stupid little YouTube channel grew to be something that is being referenced on CNN. <laughs> now, all in the meantime, you're you've become as this is as this period's gone on, you're you're dealing with this transaction. We're all talking regularly, but you are now focusing on 
on more commercial filmmaking, aren't you? Because yeah. that, 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 you know, you can talk a bit about that as well because you, you have a good relationship with Porsche. You've worked for them for many years. So a lot of the really neat marketing videos you see from Porsche in the US are, are made by JF. Um, and, you know, I don't know, you're a bit like me. Just working with Porsche is a cool thing, isn't it? Yeah, it, well, more than anything else, it's the relationships, right? Just to, to kind of meet the people that are responsible for developing the cars and, and you know, you know, it's like they are so damn good at their job and they're so professional about it. And just the history, the history of it all, right? The history of just meeting the people and, and um, you know, learning how certain cars were, were made and came to be and the relationships with the brand that the brand has with other people and the other manufacturers. It's just, it's all very fascinating. And, and the more and more I work with Porsche or the more and the more I work with all the different brands, you know, GM is the same thing. I've done a lot of work with GM. It's like there's so much behind the scenes, and the more and more I get into it, the more and more I realize the people are the entire, you know, the, the people define the entire company. And um, yes, we look at this, this, awesome, this awesome mark that has so much history, but that history is being kept alive by people today that are, you know, obsessed with the brand, trying to take it and make it, uh, you know, live up to the expectations that everyone. Um, has for said brands, um, but then putting their own little flavor on it, right? And and I love that. I love I love meeting the people that have, were responsible for a 918, and then uh, and then also on the motorsports side for for Porsche, and then on the GM side, like looking at it, there's there's a great connection I think that people don't fully understand that um, you know the engineering side of of GM, the people that put together the latest you know mid-engine Corvette, like. They're all so obsessed, and they have a lot of similarities to the people you see at Porsche in terms of their obsession with just really great engineering and more than anything else, great calibration to really get into it. And then, you know, looking at it from that side after working with people like you, Chris, because I know, you know, everyone knows you for your ability to speak on camera while going very fast and going sideways and 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 giving good information, but. What doesn't always come across on camera with you, Chris, is that you know how cars are calibrated and you're very good at setup and, and, and hearing from you behind the scenes of what you think about a car from, from a technical side, the stuff that's maybe too dry for, for, um, for camera, and then matching that up with what I hear from the engineers, it's just, it's all very fascinating. The more depth I get with all of these brands. We, um, the one thing we've not spoken about, which is, I'm not rewinding now, is that Inadvertently, I ended up with a, you know, a share of a New York, a business based in New York. So I ended up going there quite a lot. I used to come over when we were trying to sell the thing, when we had big crunchy meetings. I, I didn't just go over there because I wanted to. I, I only went there because I had to. But boy, did you make me love that city. Yeah, man. And um, we had some, we can't talk about them, obviously, but <laughs> did we have some good nights out? Yes. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I used to go there and prime my liver for an absolute pasting. Um, and I, I, God, they were heady times. They really were. Had I, you I've, ever, I've, before, before meeting us and the whole New York crew, did you ever come to New York? I never actually. No, I'd never, I'd never been to New York. I'd been to the States to work before, but I'd never been to New York. By the end of Drive, it felt like a second flipping home because yeah. um, I was there so often. I used to love that. We'd go and we'd go and film something or do something, and then end up. Oh God, what a place to go out! Yeah. And um, and I always, I always used to wake up with random bruises and <laughs> weird. It's just, just, just fantastic nights out <laughs> in Alex's flat, Alex Roy's flat. I remember being invited. Alex has the most incredible apartment, mm -hmm. and um, 
and you you told me just to come round, and you'd said something a bit arch about don't you know don't worry about when you open the door. I was thinking, well, it's just a door. So I arrived there, opened the door. There's a five and a half foot stuffed bear <laughs> facing me as I walk through the door. But when you open the door, it doesn't look stuffed. It just looks like there's a bear <laughs> come yep. to eat you. And the best part about it is you go around the corner and there's another one. <laughs> two, two bears in one apartment. Yeah, yeah. His and he said, don't, I remember, and Alex said, don't worry about the bears. And I looked next. There was an RPG launcher right yep. next to it. That was yep. quite, quite reassuring. So you ever hear the so, you ever hear the story of when Obama spoke across the street at um, Cooper Union? No, that's the beautiful building opposite, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the the the, the famous architecture school, which is like yeah. right across the street from Alex's place. Um, so when Obama spoke there, uh, the Secret Service had to come interview all the different people in the neighborhood and all the apartments that faced Cooper Union. <laughs> so Alex tells this amazing story of the the Secret Service coming to his apartment to interview him and like go through his apartment, and they were just they could not believe. Everything that was in there, Alex, <laughs> Alex, Alex said that their faces were just astonishing. Just like, and Alex knows a lot of people in government, and like, you know, he's good friends with like, you know, FBI agents and and whatnot. And he said that these these Secret Service agents just didn't know what to make of him or, or the apartment. It was great. <laughs> so yeah, we we um we ended up in this in this slightly strange place, didn't we? And drive. Was was suddenly sold. We um we went we went our separate ways on the internet, but we carried on doing in the summer when I get a month off. We carried on, on shooting uh, drive on NBC Sports, and then um, uh, this is a slightly tricky part of the uh, of our of mine and JF stories. Um, Emil, um, who who had always been a very intelligent, very bright man, but was was tricky for both of us. Um, JF phoned me one day and said, "I've got to tell you something about." Emil, and know exactly where I was. I was driving. I was actually weirdly over in New York State. I was driving NSX for the for Top Gear, oh, one yeah. of the second or third films I ever shot, and it was a really frantic shoot. We didn't have much time. It was raining. The car was tricky, and uh, I was I was struggling all day. I was I was I felt I was almost overreaching myself. It's just one of those days where you, you get this aura, this inkling that you might have a crash because you're pushing it too far. Yeah. And you phoned me, and what did you say? I think was was it that he was arrested or was that he was being he was indicted? It was that he'd been arrested. He you was said, arrested. You phoned yeah. me and said you said Abel's yeah. been arrested, and yeah. I went, ah, yeah, that's um that's interesting. And of course, when you hear it, you think, oh bloody hell, this is a bit tricky. So someone we're in business with is he's just been arrested. That doesn't mean he's guilty. It just means he's been arrested. But it didn't take me long to think. Well, hang on a minute. What's the BBC going to say? I'm, you know, there's a lot of furore around the new pre- presenter lineup on Top Gear in the UK, and I'm thinking, God, the Daily Mail gets hold of this. Yeah. New Top Gear presenter in business with. So the long and short of it is, Emil um, was uh, convicted of a fraud, not, not against us at all. Yeah. Um, uh, with a company that he he worked at, and it it, it kind of. It complete, I didn't complete, but it was just another stage in this utterly bizarre journey of my life with you, John Francis. I, you know, I'm sorry. I, you know, I signed a contract <laughs> with you, and I signed a contract with a 22-year-old kid in the back of a Bentley Mulsanne, and six years later, the third, the third party of our business partnership goes to prison. I, I apologize for that, Chris. It was, it was a great journey while it lasted, but uh, you know, we got to have a little drama here and there. Right? It's, it's part of the story. God, oh. Yeah, it was um, amazing. 
but uh, yeah, he didn't do anything to us, but um, but he, he got caught for doing something. And, it's it's um, it's crazy, and I just want to say this because I think this is important. Emil's an incredibly smart person, right? And we always knew that. Maybe too smart for his own good at times. Um, he uh, he just you know, and and getting into business with him, you know. You know, we got into business with him because he was a smart person, because he was a very creative person, because he was... Without him, there would have been no YouTube money. That's, exactly. that's what's critical. Yes. There would have been no YouTube money. Yes. He was very smart. He was very well connected. Remember, this was a man that had a lot... He was a VP at Viacom. Like, he was... He was... Um, and he was young when he... You know, just like me in, in the sense of, you know, he started doing this at a very young age. And, and by the time that he was a VP at Viacom, he was still in his 30s. I think that's respectable, but at the same time, he just kind of um, had issues. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's uh, the first time you and I have confessed that in public, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So, what about what about now in the immediate future? You know, we're sitting thousands of miles apart from each other. Uh, we're still in regular contact, and Spinelli and Zach and Farrow and all the people we work with. You know, that there's lots of rumours going around about us all falling out. It's absolutely rubbish. We we all see each other and. Yeah. Get on and tell tell the same jokes and laugh at Spinelli's hair. We all do that. Um, We're on a group chat where it's just very vulgar and very uh, it is, demeaning yeah. towards what, me. What, <laughs> what what are the next three years going to be like in this automotive video space, JF? You've got your finger on the pulse. You're you're making stuff, but these are tough times, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think generally right now, um, everyone's very much waiting to see what's going to happen. And this, the, the whole, the whole, you know, everyone asks me that this question and leads it up with, what do you, what do you think about autonomous cars? Is, is that the future? And it's like, well, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, right? Um, you know, people are still going to be buying cars here and there. I don't think that that's, um, that's going to go away as, as much as people think. I um, mean, especially right now with COVID, I don't think people are going to be um, up for sharing cars as much, right? <laughs> But in, in terms in terms of the video space, yeah, it's 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 fascinating to see what's happened with um, sim racing and how much that kind of got poked to become something much bigger than it really I really thought it was going to be, um, and the content that's being produced. It's uh, you know the NASCAR ratings that just came out of Darlington this weekend, um, the first post-COVID motorsports event where there's social distancing, there was no practice, no qualifying, drivers showed up and just walked right to the car and got in and drove, no setup or anything. It's like, it's it's fascinating and, and a little scary, but I think, you know. But the ratings good or bad? The racing was awesome. Um, I thought the racing- What about was, the ratings? Oh, ratings, ratings were great. Yeah, ratings were great. Okay. Um, so, so that gives me hope, right? That really gives me hope to the fact that people want to watch racing still. Um, I, I just, I just worry in, in the grand scheme of things that as we go through this, and I think sales will suffer a little bit, that manufacturers will kind of tend to get away from some of the fun projects um, where and I think, in my opinion, they, they, they should do the exact opposite. You know, To keep their brands alive, they have to have that kind of that love affair with cars and bring people back. I think more than anything else, Chris, and this is actually where my mind's actually at right now, I think in the United States this summer, and I'm already starting to see hints of it, we're going to have a resurgence of drive-in movie theaters because we love entertainment yeah. in this country, and that is a huge industry. America's, you know, the, one of the only things we do not outsource is our entertainment, and movies are such a big part of the American culture, and the drive-in movie theater was once big to our culture, and I think because of the situation we're in right now, I think you're going to see a lot of drive-in movie theaters pop up this summer, and I think that's going to kind of bring the love affair of cars back, and I think... I think people will want an escape from kind of the news that you're seeing where, 
You know, it's it's very political. It's very it's very biased. I think I think we should be arguing about things that aren't as extreme in terms of cars. You know, I think I think cars bring a little bit of joy, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, no matter where you stand in terms of this this pandemic. Like you can still look at cars as these 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 objects that give you some freedom, which is something that we're all kind of missing right now. I think you know, I, I love the fact that, and you know this, Chris, and we've discussed this, the idea that you know I can get in a car right now and drive to California. And nothing's going to stop me, um, minus the pandemic. But but you know, uh, I, I think there there's, there's there is a love a love affair with the American audience and with with people that you know the this these vehicles give them that that freedom to go th see things and do things that they that um, that define who we are. You know. Yeah, I agree. I think the love affair with the motor car will continue. I think the industry's about to go through roughest five years perhaps in the history of the motor car yeah. but I'd, I don't want to be it's too easy to sit and be negative about it I just want people to be positive now we've had many many a couple of months of of sitting around worrying about our futures and we just got to be positive smile get out there and do what we can I think also just to ch just to come back to the YouTube space and we'll, we'll wind it up after this but just before we do I, I think a lot of people have had a a pop at me because I've been dismissive or negative about um, the YouTuber or the or the influencer. I mean, I'm not an influencer, but I was a YouTuber. You and I were. We mm -hmm. were there at the very beginning, and I'm I'm so proud of that. I don't have many things on my wall, but I have that silver button for my YouTube channel saying I got up hundred thousand or whatever it was, the first hundred thousand subs on my channel, and I have it. I wear it with pride. I wouldn't have a career if I hadn't been on YouTube. And the other thing that I want to make absolutely clear is I'm not dismissive of the low-budget YouTuber car video as a genre because we found out the hard way that that's the only way that platform works, didn't we? Mm -hmm. you, you can't spend a fortune making very high-production quality videos to then commercialise them on YouTube. If you if you if you play the YouTube game, you only you only land up in one place, and that's that's making a high volume of videos that will engage the most number of people possible that will cost you as little money to make as possible. And that that's the only conclusion you can reach right. when you start being a YouTuber. I think, oh, well, also, you know, why would we not like people, <laughs> you know, promoting the space, right? I think, yeah. I think the more and more we have people, um, whether they be influencers or YouTubers, whatever it may be, like all speaking about these cars, it, 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 it provides value of some kind and gets people interested. And, and once you're tired of that you move on to the next thing that may be a little bit more in depth and a little bit more detail right so if 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 kids are getting into motorsports or cars via these um these youtube channels and these influencers by all means i think it's great i think it's going to help out everyone in the long run because you know it's back to why we created the apex brand it's you know it's um I, you know, I'm not going to be a doctor that cures cancer, but if I can get people interested to care about engineering and technology at a young age to then therefore want to go create something of their own um, because they had influence, they, they were influenced by something they saw that we created, I love that, right? I absolutely love that. It's the same way I was influenced as a, as a, as a young kid reading Car and Driver or, or watching Top Gear. Like, it, it inspired me to go and try to do something better. And if these influencers and these YouTubers are getting a younger generation into technology, into cars, and into engineering. By all means, I love it. The um, 
you touched on Apex there. We um, we referenced it with with the P one shoot. I mean, Apex as a as a film is a great thing, and and it was one of those. I had so many other projects going on at the time. I just left you to do it, and I always remember when you launched the film or it appeared on Netflix. Um, number of people would just phone me up and go, "God, this thing on Netflix to go on is really good," and I, you had I no turned idea. that on. Because <laughs> of course, one thing that JF will tell you is I don't, I don't watch anything. I never watched any of this stuff because I just once I've done it, I've done it, and I move on. And I'm thinking about what 205 rally I can buy. That's why I'm interested in. <laughs> and um, and he was he for months ago. Have you seen this Apex thing I sent you? I go, yeah, yeah, of course I have. Of course I hadn't even watched a minute of it. And the, the opening <laughs> shot, it's the opening shot, it's not a car or something that I'm driving in the first voice you hear is mine. Uh, yeah. And I and I just d- had no idea how good it was. I, and I publicly apologised to you because I know it was a passion project of yours and you, you executed it beautifully, but I just didn't pay any you attention to- that you I was t- on Netflix. You told a story that you were at like some house party and it, you heard your voice on in the TV in the other <laughs> room. <laughs> you had no idea what it was. <laughs> I remember you yes. telling that story and you called me like, what is this? I'm like, that's the movie I made that you're in, Chris. That is the movie that I made that you are in. And the funniest thing about that was that it was like three or four weeks earlier before the Netflix deal closed. I asked you, it was like, do you want a piece of this business? You remember this in the cab ride in New York City? I was like, you know, yes. you really helped me with this. And, you know, you want a piece of this? And you're like, no, no, it's yours. It's yours. You had no idea. You had absolutely no idea. <laughs> I've never, I think that's, you know, one, well, before we wind up, one of the things I've loved working about you, it was never about the money, was it, for us? It was just about, come out there, and I wanted to make something I was proud of. That's all, it sounds so glib, and people will just be vomiting into their shoes now, but it's truthful. Of course, everyone's got to have some money to live, but it was never about that, yeah. and that was your baby. And, and I think with Drive, the reason why it worked is, is that the, the goal was to create content that, we would be proud of looking back not all of it i'm proud of because some of it's pretty ropey and some of the haircuts are terrible but (laughs) but i but but as a body of work what an opportunity looking back yeah the the most exciting media company whatever it was nascent media company that's emerged in the last 50 years came to you and said here's a bunch of dollars fill your boots oh what a thing yeah yeah it's great it's really good. Um, I have okay, to. I have uh, to ask you something. Have you actually watched the film yet? I'm gonna end. We should, if we're gonna end, we're gonna. I have to ask that question because I don't think you've watched it. <laughs> uh, do you want me to answer that? Yes, answer it because I, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't watched it. I've never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't. There's a there's an awful lot of Top Gear I haven't watched as well. No, um, but I, but I, I just I struggle. I don't like watching myself or hearing myself. You know that, dude. I want you to recognize that you're not the only one in the film, though. So that's why you should watch it. Oh no, absolutely. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll do this again, but we'll get Spinelli on board and some of the other characters who we've not referenced massively during this because you know they've got to have their voices heard as well. Yeah, uh, and and they'll be amusing. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, I love you enormously. Stay safe over there. And I can't wait to have a beer with you when we can sit in the same room again. John Francis Musial from Collecting Cars. Uh, Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.